In this week's episode, we talk about why you hold on to bad habits, the tug of war, and how to start lasting change. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. This week, the Gratitude City is Glendale, Arizona. Thank you to the people of Glendale, Arizona for listening in. This week, we're going to talk about change. So many people want to have change in their life, whether it's a large change or a small change. People want something different, and yet it's so hard to create change. And once we've created it, it's so hard to hold on to change. People get inspired to change, and then they don't follow up on that inspiration, or they do follow up, but it doesn't last. The inspiration is momentary. Maybe they create a new behavior and follow through a couple of times and then stop. So why is it so hard to change things in our lives? And why is it so hard to keep the change going once we've started it? What got me thinking about this is a card I recently got from my parents. On the card it said, if you want something you never had, you have to do something you've never done. There's a corollary to this. Another way of saying it's a little bit more cynical, and that's, if you want to keep going where you're going, keep doing what you're doing. If there's something in your life that you want to change, well, you need to do something you've never done before. If you want to get something new, you have to do something new. And if you're unhappy with what you're doing, stop doing what you're doing. This week's episode, we're really going to focus on why people have a hard time making change. The first is simple inertia. The same thing that happens in physics, that things at rest will tend to stay at rest. It's going to take some outside force to get them moving. It's exactly how it works with people, their habits, and their lives. People will continue to do what they're doing until there's a reason to stop doing it. In this case, when we say that something's at rest, it means that you're going to keep doing what you're doing until there's a reason to stop doing it. So, for example, if a person's in a bad relationship, usually that person will stay in that bad relationship until there's reason enough to change. And often, Even when there is reason enough to change, the person will stay in the bad relationship because they just keep doing what they're doing because change is hard. Even when there's reason to change, actual change is hard. And this is where people do separate from physics. So if something's at rest and an outside force happens on it, then the thing will start moving. Whereas people, we tend to stay at rest psychologically even when an outside force happens. And so in our example... Even when there's outside forces pushing the person to leave, they continue to stay because we're resistant to change because overcoming the psychological inertia is so hard. One of the reasons that we don't change is we're comfortable in what we're doing. Even though it might be painful, even though it might be harmful, still the devil you know is often more comfortable and easier and might feel better than the devil that you don't. And so even when there's pain or hurt involved in the actions that we're taking or the situation we're in, we fight change. Another reason is because every time we do something or the longer we stay in a situation, our brain creates pathways that reinforce that behavior or that situation. Changing those brain pathways are hard, especially to make long-lasting change. This is why if somebody's in an unhealthy relationship and leaves, they often go back to that unhealthy relationship because their brain is literally patterned to keep that going. Now, the reason our brain does this is is a good thing. 
If we had to think and give the full force of our thought to everything that we do, we would never get anything done. I'll give you an example. If you start a new job, the first couple of times that you drive there, you're thinking about how you drive. You're thinking about the route. If you're following uh, a Waze or a GPS or a Google Maps or whatever you're following that, you're thinking about it. And after a while, it becomes a habit. You naturally go there. You don't have to think about how you're getting there. You just go and your mind can be on other things. And now you find a new job or you have a day off. You have to actively fight to not go to the job when you start driving because your natural inclination is to go drive to your old job or drive to your job in your day off. Your brain has developed these patterns in order to minimize the amount of work it has to do. And that's usually a good thing, but if we need to make a change in our life, that's a bad thing. That's something that's holding us back. That's the inertia. Another reason we might not change is that our beliefs might not support it. And by that, I mean the stories we tell ourselves. If we look at our inner stories about the beliefs we hold about ourselves, those beliefs might be getting in the way. So, for example, if a person is in a job that's not paying them enough, they might be hesitant to find another job or to ask for a raise because they might believe that money is the root of all evil, that too much money corrupts people, and it's better to have less money than too much money. Or they might believe that they don't deserve a raise, or they don't deserve a better job. They might look at another job and say, that looks like a lot of work. I don't want to do that much work. I'm an inherently lazy person, so I can't be doing all that work. Someone might stay in a bad relationship because they believe this is the best they can get. They can't get any better. Or someone may stay single because they believe that they're inherently unlovable. With addiction, we see this all the time. One of the reasons people have a hard time leaving addictive behavior or addictive substances is they believe they can't face life without that behavior or substance. By looking at our inner stories, looking at our beliefs, we can see why we can't change. In other words, if we're looking at change and we see that it's hard coming, or that we have started and stopped and started and stopped and started and stopped multiple times. You see this with dieting all the time. People start a diet and go a week or two and then stop and then start and then stop and then start. Or exercise or many other healthy behaviors that people have a hard time committing to on a long-term basis, keeping up on a long-term basis. It behooves us to take a few minutes, sit down and say, well, what are my inner stories? What beliefs are stopping me? from doing this? What do I tell myself about myself that gets in my own way in my desire to change? Another thing is ambivalence because we're going to talk about motivation. Often people feel like they don't have the motivation to change. They're not motivated. I hear this all the time. I'm not motivated to change. And I'll ask the person, well, why do you want to change your life? Why do you want to change what's going on? And they'll give me all the reasons why change is good. Well, those reasons are motivation. Those are reasons to change. That is what motivation is. It's a reason to change. It's the thing that gets us to go. So there is motivation. The problem is not that there's not motivation to change. There is motivation to change. The problem is that there's also motivation to not change. There's also motivation to stay the same. And so we have this conflict between the motivation to change and the motivation to stay the same. This conflict is called ambivalence. I feel two ways about the same thing. On one hand, I want to change. On one hand, I also don't want to change. And I'm stuck in the middle. And currently, the motivation to stay the same must be stronger because that's what I'm doing. I'm staying the same. 
it's like a tug of war. On one hand, you have the team that wants to change and they're pulling in one direction. And on the other hand, you have the team that doesn't want to change and they're pulling in the other direction. And this is why when you're trying to help other people, and this is a mistake that people make all the time, when you're trying to help somebody, let's use an example of eating healthy, going on a diet. If you're with someone and they say, I really should start eating healthy, and you start listing all the reasons why they should be eating healthy, well, you're probably not telling that person anything new. They know everything you're saying. If they know everything you're saying, why aren't they changing? Well, what just happened? Inside their head, there's an argument going on. There's a tug of war. One side is saying, start eating healthy. The other side is saying, you don't need to eat healthy. You can keep eating the way you are. And what did you do when you were trying to help this person? You took up the side of the argument of eating healthy. Well, that frees the other person to take the other side, the side of staying the same, 100%. They no longer have to worry about the eating healthy side. You just took it. And so now they start arguing either in their head or aloud for staying the same, for not eating healthy, for keeping up their same eating habits. And guess what? When we start arguing for a side, we start believing in it more and more. And so not only are you not helping them because you're taking one side of the argument for them, you're often hurting them because now they're arguing stronger, again, aloud or inside their head, for the other side. When I speak to people about this, they often say, ah, so the answer is reverse psychology. So the answer is, I'm going to start arguing for eating unhealthy. And then they're going to argue for eating healthy. I wish it was so easy. (laughs) I really do. I wish it was so easy, but (laughs) that doesn't usually work. I can say from experience, that usually backfires. Because people know what you're doing. People are not stupid. They know what you're doing. So one way to address this is with a four-part chart. If you're listening to this at home, take a few minutes, follow along. If you're listening while driving, please don't. Drive safe and do this at a different time. Think about an area of your life where you would like to create change. Write it at the top of the page. Under that, draw a large square. And make a line through the middle of that square going vertical, and another line going through the middle of that square horizontal. So now you should have four boxes. I'm going to use the example of weight because it's an easy example, and because I hear people talking about it all the time. Okay, on the top of the square, the main square, you're going to put two headings. You're going to put eating healthy, And then on the other side, you're going to put eating unhealthy. And then on the side of the square, the left side of the square, by the top, you're going to put advantages. And the bottom, you're going to put disadvantages. So going clockwise, the first square will be the advantages of eating healthy. The second square will be the advantages of eating unhealthy. The third square will be the disadvantages of eating unhealthy. And the fourth square will be the disadvantages of eating healthy. If you've written it out, that's not confusing. If you haven't written it out, that might be a little confusing. I apologize. All right. So I did this ahead of time. And here's some of the things I wrote down. I wrote down that eating healthy, the advantages are that you're going to have more energy. You're going to be healthier overall, lose some weight. And if a person has knee pain, their knee pain might go away to some degree because they're carrying less weight. Then under the disadvantages of eating healthy, I wrote that it takes time. It takes money. If you're around people that are eating pizza or a party or unhealthy food and you don't partake, you're going to feel a little funny and that it takes willpower to eat healthy. I'm going to skip the next one and go right to the disadvantages of eating unhealthy. And that is that people get sick because they're eating healthy. It's bad for your teeth. It's bad for your back for car- or your knees for carrying extra weight. 
And now I'm going to come to what I think is the main square. And that is the square of the advantages of eating unhealthy. The reason I think this is the main square, I'm going to get into this in a second, is this is the motivation to keep up your unhealthy habit, to keep up the habit that you want to change, to keep up the behaviors you want to change, the situation you want to change. This is why you keep doing it. So this is the square. This is the things you need to address. So the advantages to eating unhealthy is that it's easy. It's comforting. People eat emotionally all the time to deal with stress or depression. And people turn in those times to comfort foods. It's usually not lettuce. Eating unhealthy is comforting. When you eat unhealthy, you can more often join in with others that are enjoying themselves with food. And the other advantage is that it's what I've already been doing, so I don't have to change anything. It's not going to take any effort. It's not going to take any willpower. And I don't have to think about it because I've already been doing it. And I'm just going to keep doing it. It's not going to take any brain power to figure out what to eat the next day because a lot of eating healthy is planning ahead. This square, the advantages to staying with bad behaviors, the bad habits, the bad situation, this is the main thing holding us back. If we let go of these things, that is when true change will occur. Another reason people don't change is because people, when they do change, often try to change too much. They fall apart. They try to change an enormous behavior overnight. Bottom line is when it comes to change, slow and steady wins the race. Taking a situation and breaking it down into smaller parts and then addressing each of those parts one after another is a much better recipe for success than trying to change everything overnight. In the Jewish calendar, we have a day of repentance, Yom Kippur, and it's encouraged at that time to reflect upon your activities and find an area of change that you'd like to make. And the rabbis tell us, during that time when you're thinking about it, the mistake that most people make is they try to take something too big. They try to take some large area of their life and change it. The rabbis encourage us to, whatever you're trying to do, cut it in half, and then cut it in half again, and cut it in half, and try to take the smallest possible thing. Because something small, you may actually commit to and carry through, versus something big, you won't carry through. Benjamin Franklin also knew about this, and he had created a chart system for himself. He had identified 13 areas, 13 virtues, that he felt that he needed to work on on a consistent basis. They were order, silence, temperance, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. And he wrote them out on a chart, and he focused on them one at a time. So one week he would focus on order, another week he would focus on frugality, and his hope was that by focusing on them one at a time, he'd be able to master one area and then move on to another area. Eventually, the paper he was using fell apart. He had to transfer these charts over to uh, some ivory boards. And he used to use them and then wipe them off and use them and wipe them off. And what he had hoped was that by changing one area, he would be able to master it and then move on to another. What he actually found was that whatever he was focusing on, he was better at. And the other area suffered. But over time, everything improved. The lesson we can learn from this is that if we start making change in one area of our life and we find that other areas of our life suffer because of it, don't get discouraged because over time, everything will improve. And even though right now some healthy habit or some healthy behavior might be suffering, you're still going to do that better or more often than you would have if it was not your total focus. So for example, if a person's focus is on eating healthy 
and they've got that under control. Now they say, I'm going to focus on more income, you know, making more money. They might find that their healthy eating habits are not as strong as they were when they were only focused on eating healthy. That's okay. That's normal because your habits will probably still be better than if you had never focused on them in the first place. And you can always come back to it. Again, by focusing on one thing at a time, everything will improve over time. And so if we do these things, if we identify the negative beliefs we have about ourselves, if we identify the brain patterns that we've created that are holding us back, if we make that change chart, that four-part chart that helps us identify the advantages and disadvantages, not only of making the change, but of not making the change. Because people often make lists of why there's advantages to change or disadvantages to change, the pros and cons. But they leave out that second part, the advantages and disadvantages of not changing. And I believe that looking at that second half, especially the advantages of not changing, when we don't do that, we miss out on some of the most important insights and why we're having such a hard time changing. Make that four-part chart and realize the advantages to staying the same are so strong it's probably why you're staying the same. And start small, start in one area, and move on to other areas. Don't get discouraged if the things that you've worked on in the past get weaker. You can always return to them, and they'll probably be stronger than if you've never addressed them in the first place. That's all I've got for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. I really appreciate the people that have been sharing it with others. People that have been coming over to me or emailing me or leaving voicemails telling me how much they're enjoying the podcast, it means a lot to me. It keeps me going. You can reach me at thoughtfulmindpodcast.com. You can reach me at the email, thoughtfulmindpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail at 732-523-0061. Again, 732-523-0061. We have more exciting episodes coming up. I can't wait for you to hear them. Our Q&A episode is coming up soon. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to rate us on whatever podcast app you're using. Give us as many stars as you believe we deserve. Rate or review. It's really appreciated. Also, if you've enjoyed this, I'm going to ask you a favor. Please share this with two people this week. Between this week and next week, share it with two people. Tell them about the podcast. Give them a link. Let's help spread this thing. Thank you. And remember, go out. Believe in yourself. <laughs>